Hey there, podcast listeners. Curious City's been around for over three years, and we've answered a lot of your questions, including one about Chicago's dating scene. Are you on a date right now? I'm not sure. Um. <laughs> one listener asked the Illinois Secretary of State this awkward question. Mr. White, uh, why are there so many portraits of you at the uh, Chicagoland DMVs? Well, this is something I started. <laughs> And you wanted to know how Illinois operated without a budget for two years. We're trying to run our state this way. It's really ridiculous. So now we want to hear from you about how we're doing. You can weigh in by filling out our podcast listener survey, which you can find at wbez.org slash Curious City. Thanks. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hi, I'm WBEZ City Politics reporter Becky Vivi. Today, we're taking a question from curious citizen Rebecca Way. Way lives in Rogers Park and, like many Chicagoans, takes the L everywhere. I pass by the Morse L stop like twice a day, every day. Um, once or twice a year, there's a guy standing there from the alderman office who's like, do you want to vote on how to spend a million dollars? I'm like, of course I do. Who would want to do that? Way's alderman is Joe Moore, and he's been in office for 26 years. About eight years ago, he started doing something that had never been done in America before, something called participatory budgeting. Participatory budgeting is, is taking part of a government budget and turning it over to the people to decide how that money is spent. Every alderman every year gets $1.32 million to spend on streets, sidewalks, lighting. It's what's known as menu money. And like a menu at a restaurant, they get a list of specific projects and they can order what they want for their ward. If you're one of the dozen or so aldermen who now use some form of participatory budgeting, you let your constituents sit at the table and order what they want. Curious City has discussed participatory budgeting before, but Wei wanted to know more than just what it is. She wanted to know, is it a good thing? Is this an example of the community voicing uh, their needs, or is it just good PR? Ask those aldermen who do participatory budgeting what they think about it, and you'll get several variations of, it's great. It takes out the middle person. It takes out the, it gives the power to the people. It's a good thing. The participatory budgeting process is so great. It's much better because the more kind of removed from just the, the politics of Chicago something is, the more I think we can bring people to trust that the process is real. But what do other citizens think? So on a sunny Saturday afternoon in October, we trekked to a pumpkin festival in Logan Square, where people were voting on how to spend their menu money. My name is Joyce Brody. I've lived in the 35th Ward for almost 30 years. Brody is handing out ballots at a table near one of the entrances to the park. There's face painting and a DJ. And she tells us she is a big fan of participatory budgeting. Okay. I live here and I want to have a say. I have lived here for a long time and never had a say. So I'm happy to have a say. As we're chatting, she hands a ballot to Betsy Elsesser, who's lived in the ward for 33 years and sits on the advisory council for one of the local parks. Elsesser says 
newcomers to the neighborhood probably don't realize how this million dollars gets doled out. See, most people think all they do is go to the older men and say, Godfather, I need my alley fixed. And that's the old way. So the new way is we kind of decide as a group what alleys need to get fixed and what not. Alcester and Brody's alderman is Carlos Ramirez Rosa. He says in the past, this menu money has been used as a reward for political loyalty. Well, I grew up in the 50th Ward, and, you know, uh, God bless Bernie Soma, he rests in peace. But I remember crossing California going west. Every street was resurfaced almost every single year. They always had brand new lighting. And then east of California, where he would lose the precincts consistently, I mean, the streets were in shambles. And many people felt like that's because he spent the bulk of the menu money west of California, where he was getting the bulk of his vote. He says there are some wards where that still goes on. If we go back to our restaurant menu analogy, imagine you're the alderman sitting at a table looking at the menu. Sure, you can order the lobster for yourself and a few key supporters, or you can invite everybody to sit at the table and order an appetizer, an entree, and dessert to share. Brody says that's a better system, especially in the 35th Ward, because one of their neighborhoods often gets ignored by the city. And so what we do in participatory budgeting, we make sure that their needs are met first because they've always been ignored, you know, by the different departments of the city. And it's, it shows. You can tell. You go from neighborhood to neighborhood. You see which one is being looked after and which one isn't. So we try to change that in this little bitty way. So yes, participatory budgeting is good because it takes some of the politics out of government spending. And it allows aldermen or their residents to fix things the city might otherwise ignore. But as Brody alludes to, that $1.32 million for each ward is itty-bitty compared to the whole city budget. Consider this. The city will spend nearly three times that much on stationery and office supplies next year. The overall city budget is $8.6 billion, and $1.2 billion goes to roads and infrastructure. That means just 5% of all infrastructure spending is controlled by aldermen in this menu money pot, and only a dozen of them turn it over to the people to decide how it's spent. If you think about the restaurant again, it's great to be at a table ordering alongside your alderman. But then you realize there's this huge buffet in the next room, and it's invite only. And the mayor decides who gets what, with some input from aldermen. Maria Haddon is with the Participatory Budgeting Project, which helps Chicago aldermen with the voting process and getting people to the table. She admits... A frequent criticism of of residents who participate is kind of like they, they go through this process, they learn a lot, and in learning a lot, they also learn how much everything costs. And a million dollars doesn't go very far. Haddon says there are some cities in other countries where a much larger chunk of the budget goes through participatory budgeting, which she fondly calls PB. And it's a mix of citywide stuff and neighborhood stuff. In Paris, which is probably the largest, the mayor sets aside 100 million euros for PB for the whole city. And there's a, a pot of money of like 35 million euros. That's for like citywide. And then the, uh, the remaining 65 million, that's set aside as a matching fund for their deputy mayors, which is the equivalent of our council members, right, of our aldermen. 
When it comes to American cities, she says, the amount of money subject to participatory budgeting in Chicago is pretty typical. But many aldermen say it's just not enough to cover all the infrastructure needs in their wards. Take David Moore. He represents a sprawling Southside ward that covers parts of Englewood, Auburn Gresham, and Marquette Park. I have 700 streets and alleys, so I'm not even getting to the sidewalks. But downtown... They have 60 streets and alleys. So they're, man, they can resurface 600 times before I resurface one time. And so they get to take that money, let me do a doggy park, let me put up big, pretty lights. As it stands, the wards with fewer needs end up spending money on less critical projects like flower beds and murals, while other wards can't even get to all of their streets. And there's another issue. Moore says some residents don't want to spend menu money on streets at all. They'd rather have things like youth programs or more police. Well, I can't spend that $1.32 million on that. As much as I wish I could, I can't. Moore says if people want more police or more teachers, they should take their requests to the fifth floor of City Hall. Because the mayor runs it all, and that's the bottom line. Which brings me back to Rebecca Way. At one point, she sort of lamented the scale of things people were being asked to vote on. This feels a little bit like... Let's throw them a bone and vote on some mundane things you can't possibly argue about. Asking residents to vote on really basic needs like filling potholes and repairing alleys is problematic, according to Joe Ferguson, the city's inspector general. He audited the Menu Money program earlier this year and says infrastructure spending should be left up to professional city planners at City Hall. But Ferguson says that doesn't mean participatory budgeting is bad. It could be used for lots of other neighborhood needs. And other city agencies could even chip in to make the pool of money bigger. Maybe the approach should be that there is a pool that is created for this purpose that comes out of a combination of the city, CPS, maybe CTA, the park district. Even if the pool of money isn't that big, there are some non-monetary benefits. Maria Haddon with the Participatory Budgeting Project says people who get a taste of it tend to want more, or they become advocates for greater transparency in city spending. People like Betsy Elsesser, the Logan Square resident. A couple of years ago, she worked to get a project on the ballot that would fix up the garden beds and a fountain at the local park. Residents voted for it, and the repairs got done. I don't know that we're so frustrated by the limitations of it. But I'm more excited by the possibilities. So participatory budgeting may not be perfect, but it can be an important first step toward more community engagement, even if it is an itty-bitty baby step. Reporting for this story came from me, Becky Vivi. Support comes from the Conant Family Foundation. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this or you can get with that. Hey there, Curious City listeners. Take a walk around the city, and you'll see lots of statues of historical and contemporary luminaries, like Abraham Lincoln, Nicholas Copernicus, Nathan Hale, and countless other men. But where are the women? And no, the Dorothy statue at Oz Park does not count. So what gives? We're currently working on a story that addresses that. And here's what we want to know from you. 
If you could commemorate a historical or contemporary woman, who would it be and why? Message us on Facebook, tweet us, or send an email to curiouscity at wbez.org. Your suggestion may just be featured in our story. Thanks. Next time on Curious City... ...recognizing the men and women of the armed forces. You're at a college football game, which starts with a tribute to American soldiers. Now, you might think the college is choosing to honor the soldiers, but consider this. A scathing report revealing the Department of Defense paid millions of dollars for displays of patriotism before and during sporting events to boost military recruitment. So did any Chicago-area colleges get paid for their patriotism? That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.